It's a great privilege uh, to be here at your missions uh, month. Definitely uh, grateful to Pastor Reno for entrusting us to be here and to share the word of God. Of course, where he preached uh, there in Centralia, I had heard that last time he preached there that they had uh, quadrupled their missions giving. And so that was uh, exciting. Lord willing, God will do something uh, great there again today. Matthew chapter 9, and uh, we'll be looking into chapter 10 here. If you found your place, go ahead and stand with me. We'll begin reading there in verse 35. Now, these are familiar verses to many of us, but we will get a bit more of the story down into chapter 10. So stay with me. Uh, And keep your Bibles open, if you would, this morning. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you, Lord, so much for the opportunity, the privilege to worship you in your house Uh, this morning. Surely some have prayed before coming here. Some have prepared their hearts. Others, Lord, may have uh, just come in and been in sort of a rush. But we pray that now that you would anoint this time, Lord, as we've already worshipped you in song and in giving. We pray that you'd bless the worship uh, through your word. We pray that you would anoint the preaching of your word. Uh, Speak to our hearts. Let us all leave here this morning knowing that we have heard from you and that we'd leave here a little more conformed unto the image of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you do now for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Give us the unction, Lord, that the uh, old timers prayed for. We pray that you do a great work in hearts. We ask you these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now, Albert Einstein, of course, famous for his uh, theory of relativity and laws on motion, he made this statement, E, or equation, E equals MC squared. Right, we've all heard that. Now, I know the E means energy. The MC, I'm, I forgot. If it's up to me, it means mission conference. Amen. Uh, but E equals MC squared. He said this, nothing happens until something moves. He said, nothing happens until something moves. Now, here in Matthew chapter 9, definitely the Lord himself is on the move. It began in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus began to preach, and he begins his Galilean preaching ministry. And he's preaching all over Galilee. The Bible said there in verse 35 that he preached in all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. And the Lord is on the move. There are many great moves of God that we could talk about this morning and shout about and get excited about. Perhaps when God moved on the waters at creation, or when God would move on the prophets as they preached, or when God would move in great earth-shaking ways. But let's just suffice it to say this morning that the greatest of all miracles, all moves of God, is when God saves a soul. Amen? When God saves a soul, because we know at that very moment that uh, soul goes from death unto life and from darkness to light. When, when When a soul is born again, and we all have this need for God to move, don't we? 
We all have this need for God to move. And I pray that God would move in a great sweeping way, once again, reviving churches for missions and, and for the need of souls to be saved around the world. But what moves uh, God? We need God to move. And so the question many are asking is, what moves the Lord? What does it take for God to move and to bless? Well, we find the answer to that question there in chapter 9, verse 36. Look back with me there at verse 36. The Bible says there, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. You see what moves the heart of God? And we know this. It's not change. It is the need to reach the multitudes with the gospel. Oh, Jesus, we know later, would weep just to see those, that one city of Jerusalem uh, uh, lost and without God. And, and Paul would be stirred in his spirit to see that great city of Athens and all those people given over to idolatry. And we see that the heart of God himself here in the text is that he is moved with compassion for those without God. Now, there are many needs of humanity uh, that can move us. As human beings, we have many needs, don't we? Physical needs, we have emotional needs, uh, we have health needs. My wife says I have special needs, but uh, that, 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 that's another issue. Does your wife say the same thing? Oh, amen. <clears throat> but look what happens here in chapter 9, verse 2, because the Lord ministers to many needs. Chapter 9, verse 2, uh, look there with me, and we won't read all these verses for sake of time, but just glance there at verse 2. Now remember, all of this is going to occur in the great city of Capernaum, Matthew's hometown in Capernaum there, the city on a hill. Verse 2, there's a man uh, brought to Christ, he's sick with the palsy, he cannot walk. Jesus heals him, and he is able to walk. In verse 9, if you'd skip down there, you'll see that Jesus calls a man named Matthew uh, from the receipt of custom to follow him, and he arose and followed him. That's the author of this book. Look over at t verse 20. Fast forward there to verse 20. You'll see that there's a woman with an issue of blood, uh, cannot be healed, but she is healed with just a touch of the hem of his garment. Greater than those, look there at verse 25. It says, uh, when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand and the maid arose. He raised a young girl from the dead in power. Look over there at verse uh, 29. It says, then touched he their eyes, the blind, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. Look over there at verse uh, 33. It says, and when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never so seen in Israel. Jesus healed all, all these, these uh, people, and great miracles were wrought. But I submit to you this morning, the reason we have Missions Month, the reason you have missions giving is because there is a greater need of humanity that moves the heart of God, greater than the seeing of the blind, and greater than the walking of the lame, and even the rising from the dead. There is a greater need of man that moves God's heart, and that is man's need for a Savior. When he sees the multitudes without God, oh, it moves the heart of God. And we would see that that's always been what's moved the heart of the Lord. Now, if man's greatest need was for information, God would have sent an educator. If man's greatest need was for technology, he would have sent a scientist. If man's greatest need was for money, he would have sent an economist. But man's greatest need was for a Savior, and so we know he sent the darling Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, to be the Savior of the world. And missions began in the heart of God. Oh, it began in the heart of the Lord himself. All the way you can look at the Garden of Eden, the first sin of man, we immediately find God reaching out, seeking out the sinner. The Bible says there that the voice of God went walking through the cool of the garden, saying, Adam, 
where art thou? He was seeking out the sinner. And he's been doing the same ever since all through the pages of the Bible until when the fullness of time was come, God sent down his son to be born of a virgin, to step into this sin-stained world to be our savior. Why? Because he was moved for the mission of reaching us with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God was so moved that he moved all the way down from heaven to earth. Amen? Now, let me just help you this morning. It's okay to say amen in church. Amen? What some of you look like, I know it's raining and I know it's Washington State, but some of you look like perhaps you had uh, some lemon juice for breakfast or uh, some of you look like your mother-in-law may have just moved in and, and has no plans of moving out anytime soon. All right. Hey, it's OK to, to get excited in church and to say, amen. I'm simply saying that God, uh, we know he was moved for all humanity so much so that he stepped all the way down. He left his glory in heaven and went to the cross of Calvary all so that you and I could get saved. I'm so glad he went all the way to the cross until he said it is finished. But three days later, he rose up out of the grave. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he went all the way to pay the price for my sin and for your sin so that we could be saved. Now, I've never been to Israel. I've never been to Capernaum here. But there was a day when I was blind and I could not see my way. There was a day I was lame. I could not walk the Christian walk in my own strength. There was a day I was Dead, the Bible says, in trespasses and sins. In fact, I had an issue of blood, just like the woman there in the text, because the Bible says I, I was born in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We're all born with that sinful nature. But listen, I'm so glad that one day Jesus passed by my way, amen? And listen, and he saved me and put me on the right track. When I could not go to where he was, he came to me. Just like the old song says, there's no question whether God was moved or not. But here's our question this morning. Are you moved? Are we moved? God is moved. Thank God he went all the way to the cross. God is still moving. But the question is, are we moved for the great mission of God? Now, when we would have song request night from the hymnals in Baptist churches, we used to get songs like you sang today or songs like Send the Light and those types of songs. Now I think the average song request in Baptist churches is, I shall not be moved. <clears throat> I shall not be moved. Or we used to sing, standing on the promises, that great uh, song. Now it's sitting on the premises. <clears throat> but God is looking for people who are moved, who will be moved with the heartbeat of God. You see, because we know and we always say that missions is the heartbeat of God, and it is. If we could open up the heart of God this morning, we would see that missions is on his heart. But we, what we fail to realize is that a heartbeat generates power. If we're going to have the blessing, the power of God, the spirit of God, the, the moving of God, we must also share the heartbeat of God. And God's heart is to reach the multitudes with the gospel. I still believe there's a tear uh, in the eye of God every time he considers the lost. Now, he's going to do something for his disciples here in chapter 9 and 10. Because up to this point, it's just been Jesus who's been teaching. It's just been Jesus who's been preaching and helping people and going in town after town. But now he is going to, just like Moses, uh, boy, it was now Joshua was to take the responsibility in Sunday school. Now uh, he's going to begin giving the responsibility to the disciples, his church, uh, the, the uh, Berean Baptist Church here of Jerusalem. The first church we know was established by the Lord, and he's going to, to do that for them. But he knows first they must see the world through Jesus' eyes. 
Before you can have a mission, you must have a vision. And so he shows them what he sees in the lost and in the world. But what do you see when you look out at the world? Perhaps a missionary video presentation. Perhaps you just are here around Washington. What do you see when you see people? It's a good question. Some see economics. Some see nationality. Some see politics. Some see races still today. Some see world religions and Samaritans and sinners. But do you know what the Lord saw? He saw souls everywhere he looked. What do we see when we go to the store? And uh, we saw the mall you have here, and it's the Target. And thank God for Target, by the way, amen. Uh, when I got back to the States, I tried to figure out what's the difference between Walmart and Target, because I like them both. But I figured out Target is the place Americans are willing to spend five extra dollars just to avoid the crazy people of Walmart. <coughs> I guess I'm right about that, but. But I, I still go to Walmart, amen? I like saving money. But what do we see when we go to the Walmart or the Target or the mall? What do we see when we see people? Well, look what the Lord saw. Glance there with me. Why is he moved? Look at verse 36. And what will move us is when we see them there because it says they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They fainted. It means they're hopeless, weary, worn out. I love that song that the young girls sang, people need the Lord. You know, that's still true today. People need the Lord. This is what Christ sees them as, people that are in need of Christ without him hurting, uh, uh, without hope in this life. That's why so many will turn to dead religion or to depression or to drugs or to alcohol or to uh, degradation or to wicked lifestyle because they have not the hope that, that we have as Christians. Thank God we have the blessed hope, but we must remember those without Christ, they are in this condition where they are fainted, searching for something they know not what. Nothing satisfies apart from Christ, and so he sees them this way. But worse than that, he sees them there as sheep having no shepherd. You know, the religious leaders of Jesus' day here were not leading people to God. Boy, you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Herodians and the Romans, all leading different directions, pulling people different directions, but not leading them to God. And so he sees them as not only as fainted, but as lost, as sheep without a shepherd. And today, religion, still today, will not lead anyone to God. Uh, whether it's the Hindu world or the Buddhist world or or the Philippines, which is uh, Manila, is 86% Roman Catholic under the grips of that uh, religion and its uh, works associated with that, which I'll share more uh, tonight in the video. But the city I grew up in, boy, they will beat their backs. They will be every Holy Week. They will beat their backs bloody. It's called penitentia. Uh, where they will try to pay for their sins every Holy Week and beat their backs bloody and have them ripped open and some will be crucified on crosses just to try to pay for their sin because religion and the blood of bulls and goats and sinful men will never atone for sin. What, in whatever part of the world it is, whether it's right here in Washington or, or some far distant place, God sees them as lost and, and needing a Savior. And, and this breaks the heart of God because he knows that without him they are lost and will be lost eternally. The condition of man there. But we know those, you know, we know that fact. Here's what's missing in us that we see in the heart of God here. There's also a compelling urgency to reach the lost. Do you have that urgency in you? Now, when we first got saved, boy, we wanted to tell everybody about it. But where's the urgency today? 
for the Lord, there was this urgency because he only had three and a half years to accomplish his mission. We know that he preached in all of Galilee. We read in verse 35, he preached in all the cities, villages, teaching in their synagogues. The historians tell us that Galilee had over 200 cities at that time. And so Jesus would have preached, and picture with me, in every one of them, town after town and village after village, some 200 of them. And even after all that ministry, he'd still look over the horizon and see multitudes without a Savior. And it would break the heart of God. And it would birth that saying there that he says the harvest truly is plenteous. And we would have to agree with the Lord, amen, that the harvest is plenteous. But do you realize when Jesus spoke those words? That the population of the whole world at that time, in the first century, was estimated to be around 200 million people alive then. Uh, today we live in a world of almost 8 billion people. 8 billion people. If you were to count from 1 to 7 billion, it would take you 250 years just to count that high in numbers. That's how many people, how many souls. Each one of them has a soul that will last through all eternity. That's how many people are on this earth. If you want to see why there's such an urgency in the heart of God, fast forward with me to chapter 11. Look there with me at chapter 11, verse 20. Because remember this great city of Capernaum where Jesus said the harvest is plenteous. And Jesus said uh, 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 there that, that we need laborers and all these miracles were performed. Look at verse 20. It says, then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Now skip on down to verse 23. It says, and thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. He realized there still is a place called hell. Where those that are lost without God will spend an eternity. I know it's not talked about as much. I know we try to sweep it under the rug of our theology sometimes in our own minds. But there still is a place that Jesus warned about that those that die without God. And so you see the message of the gospel and the consequences of not receiving it create a great urgency to get the gospel all over the world. Uh, like what Leonard Ravenhill said, the old uh, revivalist, he said, we know Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in hell. And he said, and neither do most Christians. Do you believe in hell? Do, we, do you still believe that there is a place that the Bible teaches us, that God teaches us, that those that are lost without God will be cut off forever from God's favorable presence, that those millions uh, there, in 25 million in, in, in one city, if they do not hear the gospel, if they do not receive the gospel, they will spend an eternity cut off from God because of their sin. Do you believe in hell? Is there a hell? I submit to you there is a place called hell, but there is also a place called heaven, amen? And it is our job as Christians, it's the job of the church to take the message of the gospel all over the world so that they might have an opportunity to receive the glorious gospel of the blessed God. You know, there are parts of the world where the sheer amount of people ought to mess with us a little bit to understand. Uh, boy, Tokyo, Japan, and all parts of the world. But, but boy, now it's getting to where anywhere in the world there, there's multitudes, multitudes of people. Every city, 
Uh, I, by the way, I, I believe in foreign missions, but I also believe that every town in America deserves a good gospel-preaching independent Baptist church where folks can go and hear the word of God. Amen. Uh, thank God they're, for, 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 uh, they're in Sheldon and that a work was started. And thank God for each work that is started in the United States and, and beyond. But the mission is great. But I want to submit to you that the message of the master is greater. And so what the Lord is going to do now for the disciples is going to show them the way forward that this mission can be accomplished in God's power if we follow his plan. And the first one is there in verse 38. Glance back with me at chapter 9 quickly at verse 38. Chapter 9, verse 38. The Bible says, Jesus says, his prescription to the mission is to pray, ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The very first thing Jesus says is that we are to pray. Before it's go ye, before it's give ye, he says, pray ye. That's God's plan. Before anything else, we ought to be praying for labors to be sent forth. Do not underestimate prayer. Amen. Prayer is the power behind God's mission. If, any, if anything I covet from God's people and from God's churches, it is the prayer of God's people. Because prayer can do whatever God can do. Prayer can do the impossible. I think of C.H. Uh, Spurgeon and that great... A uh, metropolitan tabernacle as souls were, were, were being saved and some people were touring uh, from, the Ameri- from the Americas and wanted to see the metropolitan tabernacle. They were not believers, but uh, there were thousands of people in this huge uh, tabernacle. And, and uh, they asked, how do you heat this during the winter? And he took them on a tour between the Sunday school and the uh, worship service in that break time. And he took them down to the basement uh, where he showed them, let me show you what heats this church. And there was about 200 people on their faces before God, praying that God would save souls in the service. Listen, that is what heats the mission of God. It is prayer. And the prayer is specific here. It is that God would send forth laborers. Now, this is the Lord's prayer request. Now, we have our requests, amen? Those are good to pray for. We pray for each other's requests. I saw it in your prayer sheet, and there's a lot of them there. Those are good. But above all, what about the Lord's prayer request? This is God, our Savior's prayer request. Let me just ask you this morning, are you praying for it? Are you praying for it? If not, we have not even entered the first rung of making a great impact for missions. All of us, the good news is, all of us can do that. We can all pray for laborers, amen? Start praying every day. God, send forth laborers. Add it to your prayer list. Put it right at the top, right above, perhaps praying for your mother-in-law. Put it on there. Pray for laborers. That's what's at the heart. Of God, that is what moves God, that laborers would be called. And there is a great need for laborers today. We know the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And listen to this quote. uh, The greatness of a church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Oh, that laborers would be sent forth. There's a great need for that. Jesus himself prayed that way in Luke Uh, In the Gospel of Luke, he prayed for laborers. There is much we can do after we've prayed, but there's nothing we can do until we have prayed. You see, when we left the altar, when our churches left the altar, America began to leave God. 
we could mark it down in history. That's what will happen if we ever leave the altar, if we ever stop praying for laborers, uh, if we ever stop praying for our nation. Paul begged the churches. He said, strive together with me in prayers because prayer can go further. It can penetrate uh, the hearts that could not be reached in the preacher's own strength and uh, in his own wisdom. Prayer can do the impossible. And we must pray uh, for labors and for the labors of God to have that sent forth power. Oh, Jesus himself prayed for laborers there in Luke 6. The Bible says, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. Now, if you ask the question, does it work? If I pray for laborers, I promise you it will. I promise you somewhere God will stir somebody's heart about the great work of God. Because look what happens now in chapter 10. After an answer to that prayer request, look what happens in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, but when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. It names them. Now look at verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, go not into any way of the Gentiles, any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we prayed for them to be sent forth. Now they are sent forth in verse 5. It says these 12 Jesus sent forth. You see, nobody wants to pray for laborers because they're afraid God is going to call upon them. It's like raising your hand in in class. You're going to get called upon. But that's what happens for these disciples there. The, The same people that Jesus tells to pray for laborers Now they are the laborers and are sent forth. And Jesus pushes them out of their comfort zone, if you will, to preach the message of the gospel. So number one, it's to pray in verse 38. That's clear, to pray for the mission. But number two, in verse 7 of chapter 10, it is to preach. He says, and as you go preach, it is to preach the message. And this is the job of every Christian. Amen? Every Christian. It's not only for the missionary. It's not only for the pastor. It's not only for the evangelist, it is the job of every Christian to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's plan. Today, boy, we have more banquets than we've ever had, more fellowships, more seminars, more self-help books, more Christian cruises, and I'd like to go on one of those one day, amen, but uh, not Christian cruises and more uh, uh, Christian commentaries. But God's plan is still the old-fashioned preaching of the gospel. Amen? That is how the work of God moves forward. It's through the preaching of the message of God. And we're all called to do that. It's not about titles or degrees. Okay? I I went to Bible college and they gave me a piece of paper, but that is not what it means to be a witness for Christ. And uh, I heard about the husband and wife in ministry together. The husband had earned his doctorate degree, which was great. But then he told his wife, now you have to call me doctor, so-and-so, you know, at at the house and all the time. But he didn't know his wife was working on her master's degree, and she got it. And she said, now you have to call me master. (coughs) (laughs) So be careful with that and titles and degrees. No, if if you have the title of a Christian, if you're a blood-bought child of God, you have a royal mandate. You have a responsibility to get the gospel out to your community and all around the world. That is the great mission that God has given us. I love that we we can do this because he says, and as you go, preach. As you go in and about your daily life, take tracks with you. Be be willing to look for opportunities to be a witness, and God will give you, God will give you those 
opportunities. There's a harvest field that each and every one of us have. By the way, Jesus called us witnesses. Okay, he says, you shall be witnesses unto me. All right, a witness is someone who tells of what Jesus had done for them. The men in Capernaum who had received their sight, they could not help it, but they sweat, spread it all over Capernaum that Jesus had gave them sight. Okay, some of us act like we're part of God's witness protection program. All right, we're in hiding, but God has called us to be bold witnesses for Christ. Because the truth is this, and this is the truth for everybody in the room. Now, somebody might think they were born saved, okay, but for the rest of us, somebody reached you with the gospel. Somebody reached you with the gospel. Somebody knocked on your door. Somebody gave you a track. Somebody, perhaps your parents, witnessed to you. Somebody brought you to Christ, and it's our job as Christians to make sure that we are bringing someone else to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he says there that we are to preach the gospel, and every soul, every soul that has led to Christ is a great triumph of grace. But we are commanded to get the gospel all over the world. Now, not everyone here is going to be called to uproot and to move to Manila or to Ohio. Thank God for that. Amen. But uh, from Michigan, but not everybody's going to be called to uproot there to the 1040 window or or uh, uh, somewhere there in the Dominican Republic. But it is our responsibility of each local church to get the gospel around the world. So what is the third and final way that missions moves forward? It's to pray. It's to preach where we are. But thirdly, look there with me, and lastly there at verse 8 of chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 8. The Bible says in the second part of that verse, Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide, he's telling his apostles here, his sent ones, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, my wife needs to hear that, amen? Neither shoes. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> Nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. Verse 11 is proof there of prophet's chambers, and thank God you have a great one. But as these apostles were sent now to travel all over Israel, Preaching, traveling, the gospel of, uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were commanded in those verses that we just read not to provide for their own necessities, not to rely on their fishing trade that they had before or his tax collecting trade, but rather to, 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 to give themselves fully to the preaching of the gospel without charge. But to do that, at times in those verses there, others were called upon to help provide the means. So for worldwide missions, we pray for the mission. Then we preach the message at home, but we provide the means so that missions can get all over the world. It can go further. Uh, there were people that would go before the Lord in each town. Before Jesus would get there, they would go. Uh, sometimes there were ladies. They were ladies, disciples. They would, if you study there in the history, they would, they would go before in each town and prepare uh, uh, a place and prepare things so that the Lord could come and preach. But we are to provide the means for worldwide missions. Now, Everywhere I go, if we talk about praying, there's an amen. If we talk about preaching, boy, there's a hallelujah if it's down south, okay? But if we talk about providing or giving, boy, it goes down to a, a holy hush or holy grunt. <clears throat> and I understand when I was first called to preach myself in Oklahoma City at the age of 
19, boy, we would just go downtown and preach and to people lined up side of bars. We'd throw a tie on and bring our Bibles. No offerings, no, no nothing like that. Just preach to lost people. But I remember the first time I was invited to preach at a church, the pastor gave me afterwards what was called a love offering. I didn't know what, I didn't know how to, I felt like saying by the grace of God, I'll never stoop so low to take money for the preaching of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But I've changed my position on that. I had revival on that because the truth is it's God's plan that we would all participate, that we'd all partner together to get the gospel all over the world. I'm a missionary, but I still give. We give to faith promise missions of my church so that even though I can get the gospel to the Manila, I can't get it all over. I can't be at the same time in Africa and uh, in North Asia and in South America. But if I give to my church, then I have a part in getting the gospel all over the world and you do the same when you give to faith promise mission so i encourage each one here to have 100 percent participation get involved in god's plan and give something commit something to worldwide missions because when you do that you have a part in providing the means you have a part in reaching souls that you could never go there physically but you can send your resources there now i know this is a great giving church when it comes to giving boy i know i'm preaching to the choir you give awesomely to missions but there is more that that we can do for the cause of christ for the great mission of god all over the world there was a lady in our church in the philippines there in the province the average income was two dollars a day now she lived below that but she would grow vegetables in her garden and then take them to the marketplace to sell just to have something to give and she was so pleased to give that just to have something to give to faith promise missions so that the gospel could get further just like it had come to her she could help it get to someone else to the next town if you saw that amount put in cents and dollars you might think it was so small but put into God's hands it can go a long way it can go a long way just like the widows might by the way God doesn't see really the way God looks at giving the biggest offering in the Bible was was not when, when Moses had to say stop bringing it it was not the thousands of shillings and all those things it was the widows might was the greatest offering in the Bible because she gave all that she had God doesn't see how much you give really what he sees is how much of his money you hold back how much do we have left after we have given well it's a great privilege to give we know we're so blessed here in the united states and here's why it's a blessing because paul said uh, that everything we give to god's mission is not lost but it is eternally invested he said not because i desire a gift but i desire fruit that may abound to your account do you realize that now we can invest in different things i wish i had gotten in on apple or or google or investing in those things and uh, especially since I hear Google's name all the time over at the mission house, you know, she's, she's there. I guess she lives there, but, but uh, I think I finally got it figured out, you know, but uh, I wish I'd invested in those things. But, you know, the greatest investment is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about getting in on a good pyramid scheme. Boy, the gospel, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Think about those that first gave to the Apostle Paul. Boy, how that investment has grown and has grown in churches and souls being saved. The gospel getting to where it is today has some reward to those that had given to the Apostle Paul. And the same is true for every good missionary that you support. 
that gets the gospel out. It just keeps growing. Souls lead other souls to Christ and churches start other churches. You have a part in that. The greatest investment you can make is in the gospel of Christ. Paul said this, having hope that when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you to preach the gospel to the regions beyond you. Our faith is increased in, in regards to giving. Even your great theme, abound, to abound, uh, they're taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The whole chapter is in regards to missions giving. As you abound in this work and that work, he says, see that you abound in this grace also, just like the Lord, uh, uh, knowing the grace of God. The Bible says there in uh, 2 Corinthians 9 that, that uh, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The truth is God has blessed us, we know, here in the United States. Those of us that have come from different countries and know what third world living is like, we know how blessed we are here. Not only monetarily, but blessed spiritually. It still is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. The gospel is readily accessible here. I'm amazed you can find a King James Bible in every dollar store. That's my favorite store, by the way. But in every dollar store all, all across the United States, we have so much light in this nation. It is our responsibility to spread it all over the world. So much light and so much resources we have. I submit to you that America and the churches of America, the 60,000 Baptist churches that are here, there is enough Christians, there are enough resources to get the job done if we will do our part. Well, the Lord gave us that great phrase. He said, the harvest is plenteous. Never forget, Jesus himself prayed. Amen. Jesus himself preached. But more than that, oh, I'm so glad that Jesus himself provided. Amen? Oh, he didn't just give silver or gold, but he gave the, the, the most highest price that could ever be paid. The Bible says he, it was his own blood he shed on the cross of Calvary. Uh, the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, that whosoever, in Tagalog, ganun na lamang ang pagbigibig ng Diyos na binigay niya ang kanyang nag-iisang bugtong na anak na sino man ang sumampalataya sa kanya ay hindi mapapahamak pero makakamtan ang buhay. That's the closest we get to speaking in tongues in church, amen? Hey, if she's saying in French, if she's saying in French, I could preach a little bit in, in Tagalog, amen, without being labeled uh, a Pentecostal. But he gave, he gave his only begotten son so that we could be saved. As Abraham said all the way back in the Old Testament, God will provide himself a lamb. And he did that on the cross of Calvary. Oh, but there's great news. In conclusion, there's great news in that phrase. The harvest truly is plenteous. Because it does not say there that the fields are plenteous. That's true. Millions. Billions. But what he says there is the harvest that's plenteous. The harvest are not just souls out there. The harvest are souls that are ready to get saved. See, the great news is in the gospel work of Christ, we have a 100% guarantee that it works, amen? Because we know one day there will be those at the throne of God that have been saved from all nations, tribes, and tongues all over the world. It will happen. There will always souls that will receive the gospel. The harvest is plenteous. All we need to do is be those laborers. You see, the problem is not in the mission of God. The problem is not the harvest. The problem is the laborers. Who will labor? Who will pray? Who will preach? Who will provide? By God's grace, let it be said that here at Berean Baptist Church, oh, the harvest is plenteous and the labor, the laborers are also 
plenteous. Because with that combination, all oh, the impossible can happen and the gospel can go forward in a great and mighty way. I just pray of my life. It's never said, Jonathan, the harvest was plenteous, but the prayers were few. Or that the harvest was plenteous, but the, the, your preaching, your witness was few. Or that the harvest was plenteous, but your provision was few. No, if the harvest is plenteous, our prayers, our witness, and our provision ought also to be plenteous. And God will use it. Because in that great commission, he says, go. And then he says, I will be with you all the way until the very end. So you want God to see God's moving with you and on your life? You want God's power? He says, go forward for the gospel and I will be with you. But perhaps you're here this morning and you've not placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You could be here. You could have ridden on the bus. You could have been coming for a long time. Perhaps you'd be here and you'd say, you know what? If, if I know I heard about the message that Christ came to die for sinners, but if I died right now, I do not know 100% sure that heaven would be my home. If that's you this morning, let me just tell you, he wants to save you. Amen. Oh, he moved all of heaven and earth just so that you could be saved. If it was just you on earth, he would have came and went and died to the cross on the cross of Christ. He wants you to be saved. And he says this morning, come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. If you don't know Christ this morning, let me give the invitation. I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward. I'll be here. A few other brothers will be here. We'd love to share. We'd love to lead you in the scripture and show you the Bible way of salvation, how that you can know. But for you, Christian, perhaps you've been saved a long time. Perhaps you've been saved so long, you've almost gotten over it. And let me just remind you all oh, the mission of God. He wants us to participate. Would you say, God, I want to be moved for missions. Are you moved enough to pray at your seat? Perhaps are you moved enough to respond? Perhaps to bow at an altar and say, God, give me that fire. God, rekindle in my heart the need to reach the multitudes with the gospel. Let's pray. Let's have all heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's all stand together as the instruments begin to play in just a moment here. We know that every time the word of God is open, whether it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we know that God is speaking. The Bible is God's mind on paper. As it's been preached this morning, I invite you to do business with God. As the instruments begin to play, we'll open the invitation time. Friend, would you would you ask God to say, God, God, move my heart for the great mission of the Lord. I'll, I'll pray. I'll commit to praying. Lord, I'll do that. I'll say I'll, every day I'll, I'll begin praying. God, send forth laborers. I might not be able to go. You may not call me to Africa. But I'll pray that you'd stir the heart of some young people, that you'd stir the heart of, of uh, some military uh, retirees to, to take what they've been given and to go with the gospel around the state and around the world. I'll pray. For laborers. Would you commit to that?